Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a podcast extra from Nature, hosted by me, Sharmini Bundell. Now, I love the Nature podcast, obviously, but I always thought it needed just a little bit more Star Wars. So, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, or at least last week in the podcast studio, I got on the phone to psychologist Travis Langley, who's written a new book about the psychology of Star Wars. Now, Travis, you must be someone who's looking forward to the new Star Wars movie that's just come out. I have been looking forward to the new Star Wars film since 1983. (laughs) And that was when The Last of the Trilogy came out and creator George Lucas teased the idea of there being nine Star Wars films. It looks like that's finally going to actually happen. Um, But we better not get too distracted speculating about the new film because the book only covers the story so far. And what's the book called? It is Star Wars Psychology, Dark Side of the Mind. The subtitle was my editor's suggestion. I wanted Jedi mind tricks, but Jedi is a a trademarked word, so... You're clearly a big Star Wars fan, but what's the day job? I am professor of psychology at Henderson State University, but until 2007, the nerdy side of my life, my interest in science fiction and fantasy, and the professor side of my life are two different things. And over the last, you know, several years, I've gotten to where, you know, every spring I'll teach a class, psychology and literature, psychology and film, where I use... These facial characters, their stories, to talk about real psychology. And is that an easy thing to do, to link those two things? You know, when fans argue about things like Star Wars or anything else they're interested in, they're usually asking psychological questions, even if they're not using those terms. Like when they say, why would that character do that? Why would someone do that is a psychological question. Uh, So you've edited this book with contributions from different experts, and it's part of a whole series. There's one about The Walking Dead. You've done one before on the psychology of Batman. Um, And I think scientists might often be a bit sceptical of of using popular culture in the way that you have to talk about science. Why do you use these big franchises? Uh, I I know. It would be very easy to look at the list of things we're doing and go, oh, you're just writing about this stuff because it's popular. It's like, well, we are fans of popular culture in the first place. We love this stuff. People use examples all the time. Well, for somebody who... For somebody who loves popular culture, using those examples, it's a great way to learn you know, a topic like psychology. You know, Star Wars in particular, somebody could look at the movies and go, well, it's a lot of running around. There's a whole lot more to the story than that. So does Star Wars specifically have something unique to teach us about psychology? Well, Star Wars, because of being in that galaxy long ago and far away, it steps even further away from our own real world, our own situation. And, and oddly enough, that can actually let people 
look at reality more clearly because it takes them outside their own biases that they already might have. When you see the scene in the cantina, when the bartender points to the droids and says, we don't serve their kind, and he's surrounded by beings of many different species, we can immediately see the irony of what's going on there. So by going to this fantastic situation, by going to this, these worlds that are definitely not our own, in some ways we can look more purely at the actual underlying issues. Hey, we don't serve their kind here. What? Your droids. They'll have to wait outside. We don't want them here. Let's make way up by the speed. We don't want any trouble. I heartily agree with you, sir. I wanted to talk about some particular examples from the books because it does cover a whole range of topics and, and links themes from the films with a lot of actual psychological experiments. There's a chapter from Jim Davies at Carlton University in Ottawa and one quote that he wrote that I wanted to pick up on was, he said, um, however strange the aliens might look, they're always psychologically humanoid. Can you expand upon that? You know, George Lucas, being a human being, knows human beings best and he's not trying to come up with you know, alien psychology. He is trying to present the, psych the psychology of human beings. You know, what is meaningful about human nature, just exploring it you know, through these other species. And I think that's also important in the film because it's about how us as a human audience, we have to relate to the characters in the film. Um, and there, there was a particular, some particularly interesting sections in the book about when it comes to droids, so robots in the Star Wars universe. Um, you've got characters like R2-D2, who's one of the heroes. And then you've got sort of enemy battle droids in The Phantom Menace. Check it out, Corporal. We'll cover you. Roger, roger. And they're portrayed differently. They have different sort of levels of humanity imbued in them. Well, the battle, the battle droids are humanoid, uh, but without, you know, being fully human or too close. You know, their heads are not human-shaped. Their heads are designed to be clearly not human-shaped to take them further outside. But then you have R2-D2, which looks like a trash can, but there are still very clearly human features on R2-D2. You know, there is this one lens which serves like an eye. Just so many different aspects of design figure into how to make this droid more sympathetic, more appealing and cuter to us, and this droid one that we can dismiss as you know something mechanical. So the filmmakers are, are playing on our emotions and, and making us care about different characters, which is quite useful if they want to destroy an army of battle droids. They don't want us to be too upset about it. And, and the same with, with stormtroopers. Now the stormtroopers with their white appearance, this white armor, it looks like a machine. It looks like a droid. In fact, there are a lot of kids who watch that and they think the stormtroopers are machines because of how mechanical they look and the sameness of them. There's that bit where, where the heroes steal the um, stormtrooper armor and put it on. And I think I think I remember when I was little, that was me sort of realizing like, oh, no, there are, there are actually people in there. They're not robots because they've got kind of mechanical voices as well, don't they? And even with that, you don't see the guys that they uh, took out of that armor. You only see the good guys wearing the armor. You see them showing their heads when they take the helmet off. You don't see the actual stormtroopers, the people who were inside the armor. And so I, so I, just, I, I see these as being tied in, you know, dehumanizing the enemy, dehumanizing, you know, the forces that serve evil, because, well, that makes it easier to have your war story without really getting into, you know, the terrible consequences of whatever happening to the soldiers, whether we're talking about the soldiers who served Hitler in, in Nazi Germany, it's very easy to have stories where clearly Nazism was an evil, but those individual soldiers were individual human beings. TK-421, why aren't you at your post? 
TK421, do you copy? And going back um, into the Star Wars world again, um, so in the Star Wars universe, the Galactic Empire, who are the big baddies, have chosen these uniforms for their soldiers. Um, and there's also, we see that they refer to the soldiers by serial numbers instead of by name. What kind of psychological effect would that have, you know, in this world, would that have on the soldiers themselves? It does help dehumanize someone when that is the goal of the ones in charge. They don't want you to show your individual qualities when you're, you're calling yourself by number. This is done with prison inmates. It de-individuates them. It reduces their sense of themselves as individual human beings. And for the people in charge of something like the Empire, well, that's what they want. They want everybody to just fall in line and do the same thing. And this happens in the real world, too. You know, for example, you know, a study in which individuals were given a task where they, they could be aggressive towards somewhere else. So they were given directions to be aggressive. And those wearing, uh, you know, like pillowcases over their heads with, with eye holes and so forth. So essentially masks, you know, to help hide their own identities from the person who would see them and even make them feel de-individuated and... and yeah, they became more aggressively when they were wearing those masks. And moving away from the sort of specifics of the of the book slightly, um, in terms of this is a sort of science book about Star Wars, and, and psychology is something that's sort of consistent across time and space, but um, are there any elements of the, the technology shown that would have a basis of, in real science, not necessarily the spaceships, but even things like artificial intelligence? We have a lot of concern about where we're going with artificial intelligence, and where we are, are going with enhancements to human beings themselves. What does it mean to be human? Whichever film Ben Kenobi said it in, you know, when he said that Vader is more machine now than man, twisted and evil. He's making a very strong statement about what he thinks about the status of Darth Vader, that you know, the mechanical things that have been inserted into him have changed who he is, where he's not even as much of a human being anymore. And, and we do worry about this now as we're getting closer and closer to advancements where there are going to be memory enhancements implanted in people's brains. There are devices, some of them are very good. You know, some people with Parkinson's, we can put a little device in to send a signal that will help alleviate Parkinson's symptoms. And as we keep adding these things to our brains, will it change who we are as people? And Star Wars was asking this question a long time ago. It's, it's really interesting that the, the filmmakers can use psychology to manipulate the audience, but the the psychology of the characters in the story can also have a real significant meaning on our sort of modern lives or ideas for the future. What was your favourite part of, of putting the book together? I guess you could probably say my favourite part was when my writers would surprise me themselves. For example, when Jay Scarlett wanted to write a chapter about Lando Calrissian. And I was like, you want to write about Lando? Uh, but he did such a wonderful job of talking about the psychology of Lando Calrissian's ethical dilemma. Lando is now a more interesting character to me than he was before. And, and what if um, someone doesn't like Star Wars? Is this book going to help them change their mind? I mean, for me, it's like if you, you like what you like, you don't like what you don't like. I encourage people to find the things that are interesting and fascinating to them. Find things you can have passion about. You, to the best of our knowledge, we get one life and you go through it without finding things that can excite you. You've missed out on so much along the way. That was Travis Langley talking to me, Shamini Bundell, and featuring excerpts from Lucasfilm's Star Wars trilogies, episodes one to six. The Force Awakens is, of course, out now in cinemas. And Travis's book, Star Wars Psychology, Dark Side of the Mind, is available in bookstores and online. This has been a podcast extra from Nature. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.